I thought I could just offer some Dhamma reflections for the new year. And nice to see all the friendly faces. As you know, I've just come back from the holy sites in India, I've been to, to Thailand as well. So I'm quite inspired by uh, the pilgrimage and afflicted by the bugs. I got both. And such is the nature of our existence that inspiration and the highs of life are impossible to sustain. It's just not nature. This morning I was just thinking of Ajahn Chah's reflection that he used to give us. If you want to meditate, meditate. If you don't want to meditate, meditate. And that sounds like you have to kind of force yourself. You have to meditate, even if you don't want to. You just have to use your willpower and really push through and meditate all the time. But that would be very egotistical, and that wouldn't work. And I think what he's referring to is that because we are sense beings, and we live uh, in sense bodies, and uh, our, our experiential life, our, our, um, our bodily life, our emotional life, our memory life, our intellectual life, all the things that make up our lives in any given moment, these are all determined by other factors, factors which precede, factors which oftentimes we have no control of. So my body now feels uh, unhappy. It feels like um, you cut the head off and put it in the snow to cool it down kind of feeling. And that's natural, isn't it? There's nothing unnatural about that. Uh, so to where, where do we find the space of peace within these conditions which are often unsatisfactory, which are, which are suffering and not very, very beautiful, well, we can't find them in anything which is unreliable. So I can't find peace in, in a body. It's just not, not possible. I can't find... Sometimes I'll find vitality, and that's good. And sometimes I'll find good health, which is good too. Less and less flexibility <laughs> as, as the years go on. But is flexibility, is good health, is vitality, are they... Are they things which we can rely upon? And we can't. We know that. You can't rely upon the, upon the body. And yet it's important to take care of the body. It's important to have good diet. It's important to exercise. It's important to do your yoga and all the rest of it. Because it creates a, a good environment that you can contemplate and meditate within. But as a refuge, the body, no way. It's just unreliable. It's not bad. It's not bad. There's nothing wrong. But because it's a force in nature, it's a, it's a construct in nature, it goes according to nature. And one of the, one of the words that we have in the Pali structures, uh, it's a very important word in the, in the Pali canon, the word <coughs> sankara. And a sankara is, is used in many ways, but sometimes it's used as mental formations, but a sankara is more general than that. A sankara is anything which is determined by something else, and it, in turn, determines other things. Okay? Sankara. All experience are sankara. So, say, the physical feeling I have in the body now of enervation and heat and, and phlegm and so on, that's determined by my age, uh, by my gender maybe, but more so by uh, having traveled, uh, having subject to 
germs and whatever, and the immune system is down or whatever. So the, the, the feelings in the body are determined by other things. There are sankharas, and that feeling in my body determines how I am in the world now. You know, what I want to do, I don't feel, I don't feel like building a monastery right now, I feel like sleeping. Right? And that's natural. And then if the flu goes away, then I'll feel more vital, more determined, do a bit more yoga and walk around and so on. So each of these we call sankharas. Anything that is determined by something else, and it in effect determines other things. Okay? And that's a very important word in, in the Pali. And all our experience, all our sense experience, our emotions, our thoughts, our bodies, our social life, our environmental life, all of that is sankata. It's, it's, uh, it's um, determined or uh, it's conditioned by other things. So the Buddha's teaching is saying to us that um, try to get the sankaras as good as you can. Try to make your life wholesome. Uh, live by the precepts. Honor your family. Honor your culture. Take care of the environment and so on. But don't rely on it. Make that your vehicle as a kind of spiritual vehicle this lifetime, but don't rely on it. Because if you rely on it, when it doesn't fit the way you want it to be, you suffer. So, having a flu, is that suffering? It is on a sort of mundane physical sense, but when does it really become suffering? It becomes suffering when I think suffering thoughts. Right? I, I, I feel hot and I feel uncomfortable and I love complaining. It's one of my great skills. So I complain to the monks all the time. And, and, but it's not really serious. Just I just realize, well, life is this way. It feels this way. And the more I can do that, what am I doing? What I'm doing is I'm beginning to see sankharas as natural conditions that come and go in consciousness, in awareness. And awareness is where we find our peace. We don't find it in the body. We don't find it in thought. We don't find in emotions. In emotions, we'll find the highs and lows of emotions, being inspired and being bored, uh, loving someone and hating someone, uh, being attracted to something and repelled by some. <coughs> so the emotional life is, is uh, dependent on causes and conditions. Now, we can make choices. We can make choices. And those choices are usually around thought. Because the more we make choices about uh, wholesome states of mind, encouraging wholesome states of mind, they bring a kind of strength and stability of awareness. So the more I encourage um, acceptance into my mind, acceptance is a very important aspect of awareness. Like, like let's say I, I have this, this cold, and if I resist it, I don't want this cold, and it's not fair, or, or I go on like that, then that lack of acceptance makes it even worse. But if I open my mind, I say, oh, but this belongs. Having a cold belongs, it's natural, there's nothing wrong with it. What, what do I do? I open my mind to a sense of, of acceptance and peace. And this is really what I think metta bhavana is about. You know, metta bhavana, we, we kind of teach in a very dualistic way. May I be well, may you be well, may all the people in Perth be well, may all the people in Ontario be well, the world be well. So that's a kind of way of bringing forth a sense of goodwill. 
And metta is defined as, as um, loving kindness, which is a pretty loaded word. You know, loving kindness acts, asks a lot. But there's also a way of looking at metta bhavana, which is non-dualistic. It's not about me and you. It's about the different sankharas that come and go in awareness. So my perception of you is a sankhara. Your perception of me is a sankhara. Your bodily feelings, sankharas. My bodily feelings, sankharas. They rise and cease and rise and cease. And anything that arises is natural. There's nothing, nothing wrong with feeling anger. It's natural. Uh, there's nothing, nothing wrong with feeling love. We prefer love, maybe, to anger. But both love and anger are natural. But when we are heedless and we don't understand the movement of the mind and we invest a lot of thinking in something which is unskillful, we give unskillful results. So let's say um, I feel sickness and then I, and within the sickness comes grumpiness. Right? A kind of grumpy state of mind. Now I can be aware of grumpiness as a sankara that's coming to consciousness. Or I can be unaware of it attach to it through thought, and begin to swear at the monks, jump up and down, and make a complete fool of myself. Well, what does that do? What does that do? That's what we call heedlessness. What does that do? It perpetuates a reaction that will come up the same way next time I'm sick. Each time I'm sick, I feel uh, annoyed. The annoyance conditions a thought. The thought is angry, and I act out the anger. What I do, I create now not just one sankara, I create a whole cycle of sankaras. I create rebirth. That's what rebirth is about. I get reborn as the grump when he gets sick, and then everyone stays a million miles from me until I recover. But I can also, I can notice grumpiness. I can notice aversion as an object of mind. And when I can notice something like that as an object of mind, and not pursue it with wrong thinking, what happens? Well, its natural tendency is to cease. It's not that the disease ceases, that'll come too, maybe, but it rather the whole mental proliferation also ceases. And you begin to see that feeling angry or feeling jealous or all those negative things, they're not a threat. There's nothing wrong with them. They all belong. But we have a choice not to think through their avenues. So Ajahn Chah says, if you want to meditate, meditate. If you don't want to meditate, meditate. And, and for me, that means like I have, I have duties and responsibilities. And uh, within those duties and responsibilities, sometimes I like to do them and sometimes I don't like to do them. But my reference point is awareness rather than the liking or the disliking. How, you know, how... <coughs> Can you like your children 24-7? I've never had children. I've kind of doubted, huh? <laughs> there must be some times you get fed up with your kids. And can you like your parents 24-7? There must be times you get fed up with your parents. It's natural. You cannot sustain liking someone 24-7. You can still have empathy for them and so on, but you can feel dislike. And dislike is not wrong. There's nothing wrong with it. It's simply a sankara that arises and ceases. It's not a threat. It is as it is. So metta bhavana is the sense of accepting everything. It all belongs, welcoming everything. And then right practice is an acting on skillful. 
and not perpetuating the unskillful. Otherwise, what happens is we get very idealized and we resist these things that come into our minds, the negative things that we might feel. And then it gets all very, very complicated. So maybe I wake up in the morning and I have to go to work and I thought the work was always going to be inspiring and one day it's boring. And I don't really want to go to work and my mind has that mood. Now the contemplative said, oh, this is the mood of not wanting to do something. This is the feeling of not wanting to go to work. It feels this way. And without thinking about it, one witnesses it, and if one is careful, one witnesses it, then that not wanting ceases. Think about how, if you, if you dislike someone, what do you have to do to sustain the dislike? You have to think about that negative aspect of them all the time. Let's say someone at work um, offends you behind your back. Right? And you hear about it through, through the gossip network. And you find out that this person called you foolish and incompetent. Right? And you get that. Now that is very unpleasant to hear that someone's betrayed you or hurt you. It's a very unpleasant experience. And so what arises is a sankara. It's dependent on causes. Huh? The sankara of being betrayed arises, and that creates another sankara. Revenge. Or, I'm going to tell them, or whatever. Now, you can do that. You, one can go and you know, say to their face, that's not wrong, that's not right to do that. But you can also witness the very feeling of wanting revenge. Like, you know, oh, this is a feeling that arises in consciousness. It's in consciousness, and it belongs. It's natural. If someone betrays you, it's natural to want to hurt them. But you don't do it. And that's like, if I want to meditate, meditate. If I don't want to meditate, I meditate. You know this as, as a movement through the mind. Why? And why don't you follow it? Why not follow it? Why not just invest something into it and, and have a go at the other person? Because that becomes a pattern which then rules your life. So this, it's not just about this particular incident around the water cooler, it's rather about the way the mind is now evolving. How is it developing? Is it developing towards peace? Or is it developing towards more ego and more uh, all the other stuff that creates suffering? So much of contemplative life is very often just enduring the unpleasant and not buying into it, not buying into it, not, not getting caught up into it. Um, so like, say, with... with uh, in, in Thailand, living, uh, living with Ajahn Chah and living with Ajahn Sumedho, um, around February or March, um, the, the weather gets unbearably hot, it, it, like 40 plus. And for me, I'm, I'm a cold weather kind of guy. And I, I remember just the kind of boredom of another day in the monastery. And, and nothing new was going to happen. There was actually nothing to look forward to. What would happen in the morning? I'd go on alms round. What happened after that? We'd eat. What happened after that? Ajahn Chah would give a talk and I'd fall asleep. <laughs> I just, it was just like very predictable. And then what? And then I would try to rest in the afternoon. It's too hot to rest. I'd put a, I'd put a towel around my head, a wet towel around my head. And then there'd be the evening meditation. 
And he even meditation, then Ajahn Chah might give a long talk, which I didn't understand. And we'd have to sit. So my mind, when it felt boredom, began to proliferate. It began to pick up the feeling of boredom and the seemingly endless nature of this mood. This will be like this forever. Boredom will be my whole existence forever. A real kind of doomsday mindset. And I indulged in that. <laughs> and of course the result was <laughs> I'd get really depressed. And Ajahn Chah would say, Sabai Mai, how are you doing? I said, oh, it's so boring, Lone Paul. He says, it's not boring, it's your mind. Your mind is boring. It is as it is. It's hot, yeah. It's sticky, yeah. But boredom is something that you're creating. So, I couldn't say much about that. It's true. Couldn't do much about that. But how do I, you know, how do I work with that? What am I going to do about it? And so, I'd wake up in the morning and same old heat, same old morning bell, same old chanting. And I began to see that the problem wasn't the heat. The problem wasn't the discomfort. That's not the problem. It was my thinking mind. I hadn't trained my thinking mind to be with the unpleasant. I hadn't trained my thinking mind or my whole attitude to be with... For me, it was extreme hardship. It was quite difficult, physically quite difficult. I hadn't trained in that. I had only trained in basically avoiding difficulties. When things got difficult, just move, do something. I traveled for three years. So I began to see that the strengths that uh, an intellectual culture that had been encouraged in me, like how to think and how to analyze and so on, were not really serving me with this heat, because how can I analyze my way out of this? So I saw that the freedom from suffering here is not an intellectual thing. It's not something I have to figure out. It's something I have to awaken to. And so slowly, 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 I began to awaken to thinking as an object. And thinking is an object. You can know. You can know that you're thinking wholesome or unwholesome thoughts. You can be aware of that. This is a big step for humanity. Um, Sometimes people just assume that their thinking is who they are. You are not your thinking. Your thinking is a sankhara. It arises according to causes and conditions. And once one sees that, once one sees that this mood, this thinking is generated by a mood, and that I can be aware of the mood, you start to go kind of more deep, more deeper, more deeply into your consciousness. So it's no longer just the superficial mood now, or the superficial thoughts, it's the mood itself, and you begin to develop strong awareness. You can say, well, so what's the problem here? Heat. What does you know, heat, heat really feel like? And then it's just hot. Yeah, it's, it's enervating, I sweat a lot, and so on and so forth, but is that the problem? And so the kind of struggle of saying, well, heat is heat, it's natural, it creates, it's unpleasant, certainly, but then what am I creating around it? It took me a while to see that the problem was my thinking mind. Now give me a choice, I'll take air conditioning, right? And I'll live in a cold climate because I do find heat, that kind of heat quite unbearable. But there it is, if it's there. Give me a choice, I won't have a flu. You know, give me a choice and I won't die. <laughs> doesn't work that way. So I found that that kind of situation in Thailand was actually... Uh, very edifying, um, very, very informative, 
to my own spiritual life. And, and how did I get that information? Well, it was through reflection and observation. And in, in Buddhism, we, we differentiate between wisdom and intellect. I don't know how you use those words, but wisdom, intellect is more the analytical way of using thought, uh, which is necessary and is important to use that. But there's also something deeper, and that's the capacity to reflect and reflect on cause and effect. So this moment now, I'm feeling the urge to cough, right? And I can feel that that urge to cough is annoying. Now, if I'm aware of that annoyance as an object, the cough settles down, but also the annoyance, and I'm calm again. Oh, oh there it goes. That's a reflective capacity. That's not, it's not analytical. It's, it's observation. It's attention on the way things are. And so when we talk about panya, this is what the, what the Buddhist teaching is asking. Use panya to understand. And then the analytical mind can come later. But panya is, is really the way of, of observing life as it is and then seeing what am I creating around it. So when we talk about Dhamma, you know, when we, take, when we take refuge in Dhamma, Dhamma is the way things are right now. That's Dhamma. Without commentary, without judgment. It's just this way. And then the commentary and judgment comes from what? It comes from wanting. I don't want the cough. I don't want the heat in the body. But if I'm aware of the wanting as a Sankara, and I'm... I, I can do things, I can take medicine, and if Fontarini to bring me some antibiotics, so I'm not stupid, you know, I'm going to take care of the body as best I can. It's not dismissing that, but seeing that there, there is this transcendent peace in the mind through all the stuff that we have to experience, through the good, the bad, and the indifferent, you know, whether our, our um, bodies are healthy or not. And when New Year comes around, we also may be happy, you know, may you have a healthy body, may you have prosperity, may everyone say nice things to you all year. And I, you know, I, I write letters like that, and I'm sincere, but in the back of my mind, it says, well, it's not that easy. You know, it's not that easy. So my deeper wish is always, may you be mindful through everything. You know, may you, may you find the transcendent in, in the conflicts and non-conflicts of your life. The Buddhist teaching is, is quite... You know, it's, it's a real, he's a genius. Because he takes the, the as Ajahn Sumedho often says, he takes the thing we don't want, which is human suffering, and he makes us look at it. He makes us awaken to it and say, so where is the suffering? Is it with that other person? Or is it with the body? Or is it with the weather? Or is it with the food I'm having? Or is it with attachment? And so the, the kind of watchword around sankhara is attachment to sankhara. And what does attachment mean? Well, it usually arises as resistance or indulgence. So my body wants to cough. Uh, I don't want the cough, I resist it. Or uh, I feel annoyed at the cough and I indulge in it. And I get angry at someone or something silly like that. But the middle way to open the mind, say, coughing belongs. Sickness belongs. Good health belongs. Prosperity belongs. Poverty belongs. All these are, are very, very natural in the human realm. And then I do my utmost to try to make things good. 
So what, what is the point of living this life? Well, if the point is compassion, rather than self-aggrandizement, well, if, it's, if it's about serving and helping and so on, then, then it's really quite a joy to put effort forth, isn't it? If, if, my, if the point of my life now is to get as much out of the Tisserna monastery as I can for my own you know, benefit, that would be a miserable way to live your life, wouldn't it? But if my life can be, well, so how can I serve and how can I help? How can that be an important part of my life? Then what arises is quite a little joy. Now, I can't always feel that way. I don't know about you. I mean, that's my intention, is to do, to do as much good as possible and to do as little uh, ill will as possible. But I'm a human being. And even though that's my intention, sometimes I, I um, do things which are unskillful. You know, I bark at the monks, or I eat too many cakes, all manner of difficult things. And that's okay too, that belongs. That belongs. Errors belong. Making mistakes belong. I don't, I don't deliberately set out to hurt anyone. I don't wake up in the morning and think, okay, I think I'll have a go at Chunda this morning. <laughs> <laughs> Lovable chap that he is. I don't do that. But sometimes I have a go at him. Right? And then usually I feel regret. <laughs> but that's natural, you know, to kind of lose the plot is natural. And the more we, the more we can see this movement in, in consciousness as it all belongs, the more we'll make choices towards that which is wholesome and away from that which is unwholesome. Because that's what the wisdom mind does. The natural response of wisdom to life is compassion. It's the natural response. But compassion is this kind of sense, grand sense of accepting everything. So even the non-compassionate thoughts in your heart belong. And if you do that, then they just tend to go through you. They don't get stuck. If you live a kind of, if we live a kind of idealized life that a Buddhist should have metta for all beings all the time, that idealized, then we resist the negative. We resist the evil. We don't let it through consciousness. And vice versa, if we just indulge in it, just we believe in the thinking, always complaining, 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 then there's no freedom at all. Middle way, the middle way is to open up to all of it and welcome it. And, and, and awareness has that quality of metta in it. It's not simply controlling the mind or kind of being careful so you don't drop something on the floor. It's more than that. It's a kind of, it's a grand, boundless sense of conscious presence. And if, if that becomes our home ground, then within that things come and go. Some we respond to, some we're patient with. And then you begin to be an adept. You begin to live in the world of change in a way where it's no longer, you're not a, a victim to it all. You know, you're not kind of, this doesn't just uh, kind of life is a bad joke, that sometimes I get it and sometimes I don't. And this is, this is, this is a meaningful life. You know, when we, when we take all of life's um, ups and downs and learn from them through wisdom, then everything is meaningful. Sickness is meaningful. Uh, wealth is meaningful. Uh, failure is meaningful. Uh, harmony is meaningful. Disharmony is meaningful. It's all meaningful because all of it points to one thing, and that is awareness. All conditions arise and cease in awareness. And that's the beauty of the Buddhist teaching, that it gives us a kind of transcendent possibility of peace, 
rather than just trying to get it right all the time. And yet, the Buddha says, live morally, live responsibility, uh, live with compassion, because that brings a kind of joy to the heart. So, I think I've given it a good go. I wish you freedom from coughing for the rest of your life. (laughs) Really, May you may you use this teaching in a way which is truly edifying because it is a it's a beautiful teaching. It's really, really beautiful. But you have to use it. You have to really use it. So I wish you good health, prosperity, good looks <laughs> and all good things. But most most importantly I wish you enlightenment.